the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a very cold, cold, cold day outside, but my office is at 77 degrees, so I'm doing just great. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got a lot going on. Of course, Sunday is Christmas. We are going to be having two services here uh, on Christmas Sunday. That's at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. So we're doing one less service than we normally do. Uh, we think that'll be plenty of time. And uh, I think Christmas is a great time to get to church and begin your holiday that way. So uh, that's what's coming on. One other programming note, um, the world, I guess, is celebrating the Christmas holiday legally on Monday in KSLR. The studios will be closed. So we will be having a rebroadcast of one of our earlier programs on Monday. And then, Lord willing, I'll be back on Tuesday uh, at four o'clock. Okay, let's get to some questions and We'll see where we go. Now, here's an anonymous question. I did touch on this one briefly um, earlier in the week, on Wednesday, in fact. It's from our mobile app, and it's anonymous. Um, The question is, in some versions of the Bible, a woman named Lilith is mentioned in Isaiah, and she's suggested to be an evil uh, succubus, and that's a word I'm not familiar with. Any thoughts? Thank you, and God bless you. Um, I can do that. See what I've got here. Um, first of all, let me see. Lilith is not in the Bible. Uh, there's two versions of the Bible: the common English version of the Bible, which is a fairly new translation and not a good one, and the Jerusalem Bible. Uh, both of them are are accredited by Catholics um, uh, be, because they they uh, keep the apocrypha in them. Uh, but but Lilith is nothing more than a legend. It's not found in the Bible. Uh, the different legends vary significantly, but they all essentially agree that Lilith uh, was Adam's first wife before Eve, and Lilith left Adam because she didn't want to submit to him. Um, Lilith was, according to the legends, an evil, wicked woman who committed adultery with Satan and produced a race of evil creatures. Uh, But I want to emphasize there's no biblical basis whatever for these concepts. There's no one in the Bible named Lilith. So I hope that answers your question. These are the kind of things 
that um, we simply need to be able to to um, to respond to uh, and hopefully save some people some difficulty. Here is a question from. Let me get there. This one's from Scott from our email inbox. Pastor, on the subject of Amy Grant came up at work yesterday and her support of gay marriages. I've been chastised in the past for my stance on banning anything Miss Grant has done since her very public and apparent affair with Vince Gill, her divorce and prompt marriage to Mr. Gill. To me, her actions nullified her position as a Christian leader uh, in music and now uh, this stance in supporting her niece's gay marriage by holding the ceremony at her home uh, is the last straw, at least to me. Why is she still considered a Christian or a Christian musician? Am I taking this too far? I'm just sad. I really enjoyed her early work. A couple of things, Scott, that I want to deal with, and I probably will take a few minutes because I really want to go off on this in a, in, a, in another direction. Um, let me first say that, that those of us who are not in the know have no business whatsoever commenting on or judging her divorce um, and and her uh, subsequent remarriage to Vince Gill. Um, um, uh, some people who um, are in the know, or at least they appear to be in the know, um, indicate that her first husband uh, was not faithful to her, that he was abusive, uh, and he was a drunk, and um, she was getting out of that marriage for safety. How she conducted herself with Vince Gill, that's between her and the Lord. And I think Christians are much better off, much better off, uh, simply taking a step back and trusting that the Lord is going to deal with her if, in fact, there was sin. So uh, I can just simply say that, that we, we don't have all the details. And as a pastor for 27 and a half years, we never have all the details, just listening to one side. So um, let's leave that one aside now. Um, Billy Graham was um, tweeted a comment about her hosting uh, her niece's gay marriage at her home. And, oh, I'm sorry, I said Billy Graham, it's Franklin Graham, please forgive me. Um, 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 he, he tweeted a response to uh, a statement that was made that she's going to be hosting her niece's gay wedding, same-sex wedding, uh, at her home. Um, obviously, as believers, what we're doing when we give consent to, or in this case, host a marriage, a same-sex marriage, is we're saying basically that the faith that we've believed in, that we've sung about in Ms. Grant's case, and um, told everybody about for our whole lives, uh, really is of no value to us. Um, at that point, we're so compromised that there's simply nothing um, left of our faith. Um, certainly, this is something that any Christian ought not to be a part of. We ought not to go to gay weddings. We ought, it's a celebration. That's what a wedding is, by definition. Uh, we, simply, we, we, we simply cannot give any sense of affirmation or approval of, and I've had people say, well, well, they know where I stand. No, if you show up at the wedding or if you host the wedding, they, they, yeah, they know where, where you stand. They know that you don't stand with Jesus. And the idea is, and this is what her public position has been in response to Franklin Graham's tweet, um, I'm just showing her the love of God. She knows I'm a Christian, but this is family. and we're, but, but you're not loving her if you're not telling her the truth. Somebody's got to stand for Jesus Christ. Now, here, Scott, is where I'm going to go off a little bit. Um, one of the problems that we have in the world that we live in, now, we have to remember also that Amy Grant lives in a world that you and I aren't familiar with. Uh, for somebody to be successful in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, in Nashville, um, you know, to be publicly opposed to, to homosexual marriage, um, would basically in their career. Now, th that's the, the position she should have taken. However, uh, the reality is that these men and women are unwilling to threaten their careers. Now, I want to take it down at a more local level because I see this often in the church. People that are Christians, people that I know are Christians, they don't want to cut 
off people from their family. They don't want the rest of the family to say, well, well, you want to do this. You know, you need to accept them. You need to love them. Um, they don't want to do that because they, they don't want to cut that person out of the family. And then they don't want to be criticized by other family members. But here's the thing. When we are confronted with these situations in our own families, these are the most important places for us to take a stand. I've had people come to me over the years whose children um, have, have been in a gay relationship and they want moms and dads to approve it, um, to be okay with it. They'll use manipulation. Well, if you don't, then we're never going to come over. You won't see your grandchildren. You won't. And, and these are the kind of things, that the, the tactics they use. And so what we have to do is we've got to say, look, if that's the cost for standing with and for Jesus, then that's okay. I'm going to pay it. And we've got to be able to look at the people that we really and truly love and say, this is a lifestyle that will end up with you living in hell forever and ever. And I can't imagine that. I don't want to bear the thought. So, yes, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yes, I'm going to tell you about the Jesus that you know I serve. And if we are unwilling to take a stand for him, even at the expense of family separation, family division, then what we're really saying is our family means more to us than Jesus does. And that's never, Scott, going to be a place where we're going to be comfortable as a Christian. It's a simple choice. Jesus said that he's come to divide families. I'm sure that he wishes that weren't the case, but when you take a stand for Jesus, people in your family are going to think you're being narrow-minded. But remember, love isn't what the world defines as love. The love of God is telling somebody the truth in love because eternity lasts a lot longer than our time here on earth. And it's, it's very painful to me personally, and it's happened many times over the years, where a family simply will not take that stand for Jesus Christ because they value their family member more than they value their relationship with God. And it, it boils down to that. There's no way to soft-pedal that. That's simply the choice that they're making. Now, having said that, uh, I've had a bunch of people who have taken a stand for Jesus Christ. They have been cast out of their families and their hearts are broken. But Jesus is proud of them. And this is just something that we have to do. So I think we ought not to judge about circumstances where we don't know anything about. But Amy Grant has been very public about her intention to host this same-sex wedding. Uh, and I think that uh, identifies um, who she is and where her heart truly is. So, Scott, I hope that answers your question. Let me also say one other thing about Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham has a lot of, of uh, critics himself. And if Franklin Graham, a very public person who no doubt knows Amy Grant, that's why he tweeted her. Uh, Matthew 18 doesn't say that you should tweet somebody and confront them that way. He should have called her personally. He should have called her and said, Amy, I wish you would reconsider this because this is not the godly decision. You know better than this. Please repent. I'll be praying for you. That's what he should have done. But again, we live in a world that's absolutely crazy and we settle our issues on social media. It's easy behind a keyboard to, 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 to throw rocks. Um, Franklin Graham needs to look deep within as well. So... Um, Oh, that's that's my thought on it, Scott. And this is an area that we're experiencing over and over and over um, with with people now. So I hope that helps a little bit, Scott. Thank you. Linda says, my church is closed on Christmas. Is that okay? What's the right thing to do? Linda, you know, leave that to your pastor. Uh, we're open on Christmas. We've got two services. I said that at the beginning at 9 o'clock and 11. You're more than welcome to come and visit us. Um, uh, we're going to have a little bit different service than we normally do. Uh, and, but I think it's a wonderful place to start Christmas. Uh, I will never close on a Sunday, period. And I this is only the third time in our 27 years here that Christmas has fallen on a Sunday, and um, uh, the other two times, we just had a wonderful time. And, and I think it's, it's the right thing to do is to come to church. 
Having said that, there's a bunch of people that disagree with me, and it is their right to do that. Uh, I know a church is having Christmas Eve services. We um, we every year have Christmas Eve services. We're not doing it this year because Saturday and follow back by Sunday is too much time away from family. So we're just canceling our Christmas Eve services this year, and we're going to be open on Sunday. And the other churches, some other churches, are keeping Christmas Eve services and not meeting on Sunday, uh, giving families time together. So is there right or wrong? I don't know. For me, all I can say is the right thing to do on Sunday, regardless of of uh, what holiday it is, we're going to be open every Sunday because that's where God's people gather together. So that's our position and I'm certain that there are really good people that love Jesus with all of their heart who have a different position than I do. Um, anybody who wants to come, you're more than welcome. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And we're going to do the same thing, by the way, on New Year's Day, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And then finally we can get back to our regular schedule. I like that. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, I'm same-sex attracted, but know it's wrong, and I don't want to give in. Can you help me? Um, yeah, I can help. Um, same-sex attraction is real. Um, the enemy is involved in it, of course, as well, and and the temptation will be great. But here's the only way you can fight. Uh, you got to be with Jesus. you got to be so close to Jesus uh, that what you end up wanting is what he wants. And this is one of those times when uh, you've got to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You've got to walk in the power of the Spirit, and you've got to make a conscientious choice uh, every day, maybe sometimes many times a day, to say, I'm not going to fall into that trap. Jesus, I'm going to rest in you. Help me, Lord. And he'll do that. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. And the idea there is so that you can stand up in victory uh, in opposition to the temptation. And all you got to do is believe that. So uh, same six we live in a fallen world. Things are crazy. And the reality is I think some of the biggest heroes uh, among Christians are those who are in this world, same-sex attracted, and they simply make a choice to serve Jesus. We've had uh, a bunch of those people over the years here at our church. It is a struggle. Imagine, and this is where the rest of us as Christians need to have compassion. Uh, imagine that you're same-sex attracted and somebody says, well, to follow Jesus, uh, you, you, you can't have a, a physical relationship with anybody. You're just going to have to dismiss that part of your life and you're going to have to do that because you love the Lord. And And, you know, most people don't want to ditch a, a, a meaningful emotional and physical relationship. And yet people that are same-sex attracted, that's exactly what they're asked to do. Now having said that, it's the exact same thing that heterosexual people are asked to do if they're not married. They're asked by God to refrain from sex, to overcome the temptation until they're married. So until marriage, it's the same thing. And God simply says no to pursue holiness. Anonymous, if this is a condition that continues throughout your life, you're simply going to have to say no to you, to your desires, to your temptations, so that you can say yes to Jesus. And here's what I can tell you. You won't be sorry that you did. God's grace truly is sufficient, and you will find a place where all the joy that you need will come from your relationship with God. Thank you for the question and hang in there. Seth says this. By the way, we'd love your calls. I don't expect a lot of calls today. People are busy and they're out and they're cold, but we'd love your calls at 340-9585. Seth says, how can I convince a a believing friend that cursing is a sin? He says that words don't matter, the heart does. Boy, he stepped into a trap there, Seth, because Jesus said uh, the ugliness that comes from our mouth comes out of our heart. And the words that are coming out of his mouth, those betray the condition of his heart. 
The Bible says there shouldn't be coarse jesting. There shouldn't be uh, 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 filthy or foul language coming out of our mouths. Our our speech should be seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. Um, and, and regardless of what your friend says, he's justifying sinning, um, cursing, uh, using foul language is something unbelievers do. Why would we who are believers want to act or sound like unbelievers? So, Seth, you can't convince him. Uh, I would ask him. Now, if he was a friend of mine, I would say, well, well, tell me something. How? What makes you think you're a believer? You can look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Cursing's not in there. What makes you think you're a believer? Oh, well, I gave my life to Jesus. What, but what makes you think that you can approach Jesus with this kind of filth coming out of your mouth? We're supposed to flee from all of those things. We're supposed to put off the old things that we used to do and walk in the newness of our lives in Christ. Why are we reflecting on Jesus instead of being a reflection of Jesus? So Seth, your friend can believe whatever he wants, but he's kidding himself. And as a friend, it's your responsibility, since you've talked to him about this, it's your responsibility to tell him that. Now, you can't convince him. The Holy Spirit has to. But I can promise you, if you take that sin for Jesus, if he's truly saved, the Holy Spirit will start knocking on the door of his heart, and then he's going to have some choices to make. But there's just nothing quite as ugly as somebody who says he's a Christian. There are pastors who think it's cool. Well, we're not cursing. We're just being real. Well, you're being ugly is what you're being. And, and it's just not something that a Christian should do. Uh, we need to remember that God is with us. We can fool other people. We can even fool ourselves, but we can't fool him. God will not be mocked. He knows those who are really his. Very, very important. Talk to him if he's a friend. We've got five minutes left in this half of the program. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, a lot of pastors say that a woman cannot leave a marriage if there is abuse. Do you agree with that? I hope not. Well, Anonymous, you're right. Now, if there's physical abuse, um, a woman needs to leave the marriage, period. Any woman who is in danger of being physically abused needs to go to a safe place, not tomorrow or the next day. They need to go now. Uh, I have a hard time talking women into leaving their husbands who are abusive. Uh, well, maybe he'll stop. Or, well, I know he didn't mean it. Well, he did mean it. That's what he does. So I want to say this very clearly. i got more to say on this, but I want to say this very clearly. Any woman in a marriage where you are being physically abused, you need to go. And you need to go now. Get your children, if there are children involved, worry about how you're going to survive later. Get out of harm's way before you truly get hurt. God hates that kind of abuse, and you need to get away. Now, having said that, I am a pastor, and I have a lot of women talk about their being abused. Well, he's emotionally abusive, or he's verbally abusive. Just change the word. He's a jerk. But being verbally abused is not grounds for divorce. We need to understand that. The fact that you married a jerk and he's acting like it is not grounds for divorce. Physical abuse is. Your personal safety is. But too many times we're looking for loopholes. We want God to bless our decision to leave. And the reality is he's not going to do it. If somebody abuses you physically, if somebody abandons you, or if your husband cheats on you. Those are the biblical reasons for divorce. Now, if things are so bad in your home, it might be justification for you to separate briefly to try to work things out. It's certainly time to get your church involved, your pastor involved, especially if your verbally abusive or emotionally abusive husband is a professing Christian. But only in the case of physical abuse, adultery, and abandonment does the Bible give us license to leave. You know, we make these choices to marry. We get in unequally yoked relationships. 
Remember, when things don't turn out, things don't get better, we want to make it easier. It's just not going to happen. I was an abusive, not physically, but emotionally and verbally. I was an abusive husband. My wife prayed for me for 13 years. She was never in any danger. My sin cost her everything. We were very wealthy. My sin cost her everything. And she prayed for me for 13 years. And for most of those years, rightly represented Jesus Christ. And that's what God used to save me. So, 1 Peter chapter 3 he tells us what to do if we're married to an unbeliever. And uh, we could stretch that to anybody who's acting like an unbeliever. And let the Holy Spirit do the work. But I want to repeat this. Never, ever, ever should a woman stay in a physically abusive relationship. And even if she leaves and he gets really repentant, then we need to watch very, very carefully before we ever let him back in. So I hope that makes sense. we got 30 minutes left in the week. We'd love you to call 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Friday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to line one and talk with Cindy. Cindy, thanks for calling. I'm getting tired of hearing my own voice. Oh, hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're staying warm, and I do have a word of encouragement. It's going to be 70 degrees next Friday. Oh, I have to wait a, I have to wait a whole week? Okay. I have to wait a whole week, but it's not, it's not, it's not that bad yet. <laughs> okay, we can make it. We can make it. I'm not ready to cry uncle, but, but you know, it's another week of this I might be. <laughs> You know, what I was thinking about at Christmas, how so much focus is put on Jesus was born, you know, and, and he was a man. And then it just seems like the fact that, that, that it was actually God came to earth. And in Jesus, he was, he was, Jesus was God and God still in heaven at the same time. And I, I was just, I don't know, it just floored me the other night. I was thinking about the fact that God came to earth to save us. And I know it's Jesus, but it's God too. <laughs> and it's, it's just that whole kind of thing was floating around in my head, and I'm just so amazed by it. So that's all I had. I didn't really have a question, just a, just the reality that, that, um, that it was God. God came to earth to save us, and that's kind of what I was thinking about. Yeah, I hope you have a good day and, and that you stay warm. Thank you, Cindy. I'll be at church Sunday. Bye. Okay. Yeah, and by the way, I'll be teaching tonight at 7 o'clock out of Philippians. Um, what Cindy's talking about is that the theological term is the kenosis of God, Jesus coming to earth. Uh, I taught it last Friday, uh, but I'm going back into it tonight to give it sort of a different perspective. But we're going to talk about Jesus becoming a person. Um, becoming um, a, a human being, uh, being born as a baby. Of course, that's a real Christmas story. And so I'm going to be teaching that tonight. I don't imagine we'll have a lot of people here tonight, but um, you know, it doesn't matter how many people show up. We're going to have a Bible study. So, um, Cindy, it's something, it's something to marvel about. Now, uh, one clarification uh, God came to earth, the person of Jesus Christ, and of course he veiled his deity. He he let go of equality with God and, and walked on this earth for 33 plus years as a human being. Um, but, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were still in heaven. So it's different persons, same God. 
one God, three persons, um, Jesus uh, left heaven and came to earth, accepted limitations of humanity, uh, suffered, struggled, laughed, cried, got hungry, all the things he did it for us. And I think it sort of brings um, new meaning to the to the probably the most famous verse in our New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you for that, Cindy. Appreciate it. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. I just want to wish you and Mama Paula a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jimmy, and to you too. Yeah, that's all I wanted to do. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. I love you forever. Oh, man, thanks. Huh. All See? right, take care. Uh-huh. I tell people all the time I got the best job in the world and, uh, you know, those kind of phone calls um, sort of accentuate that claim. Here is a question from Mike. He says, I struggle with reading my Bible. I want to do better next year, but I've always failed. What tips do you have for me? Um, Mike, a couple of things. Don't make New Year's resolutions. We break them. The devil beats us to death and and just don't make them. Um, Start today. Don't wait till next year. And discipline yourself. It's that simple. I want you to think about, Mike, for a moment what you said. I know I need to read my Bible. I want to read it. I keep promising to, but I break my promise. What tips do I have for you? It's simple. Discipline. Training. Do it whether you feel like it or not. It's that simple. Mike, I'm guessing you eat two or three, maybe four times a day. You do it because your body needs the nourishment. How much more your spirit? And if you can't discipline yourself first thing in the morning, if you can't discipline yourself to get in your Bible for 20 or 30 minutes, just to hear from Almighty God, well, that's just spiritual laziness and you're setting yourself up for failure. So don't wait until the new year. We got another whole week. Do it now. Open the Bible and just start reading. If you'll fight to do that, then I promise you the Holy Spirit will sort of change your, I got to read the Bible too, I want to read the Bible, to I can't imagine today without the Bible. That's what will happen. But you've got to provide the willingness you see, this is a free will choice that you get to make. I don't know what your schedules are like, Mike, in the mornings or in the evenings, but I can promise you this, nothing will benefit you as much as getting in the Word and hearing from the Lord. The other thing I would ask you to do, Mike, is go to God in repentance. Tell Him, I've been a lazy Christian. God, please forgive me and fill me with your Spirit so that even when I don't feel like doing it, I know that that's what I need to do. But being spiritually lazy is a sin. And being slothful, believe me, the enemy is going to be pounding you, Mike. So just admit that you can't do it on your own. You don't even want to do it on your own. So then you say, Lord, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. I always add in your name and for your glory. But Mike, it's like anything else in your life. It's like going to the gym. Nobody likes to go to the gym. But we go because we need to be healthy. We exercise. We watch what we eat. Even though, especially around the holidays, we'd rather not. There's so much good junk out there. But we've got to exercise discipline in our lives. And this is just something that you need to do. It's not a matter of a tip. I can't make it easy for you. The enemy's going to try to keep you from doing it. Your flesh is going to cooperate. But you've simply got to decide, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be more like you. I want to love you more. 
And if you'll just fight for a little bit, I promise you the Holy Spirit will win that battle. But you've got to provide the willingness. So it's not a matter of, okay, New Year's resolution, start right now, Mike. As soon as this shows off the air, open your Bible and read. Paul asks, what is meant by being under the covering of a pastor or a church? Paul, we have a lot of um, what are called parachurch organizations or parachurch ministries. And it's Christians, most often well-meaning Christians, who want to go out and change the world and they've got an idea and, and they want to do it, but they don't want to be under the authority of a church. And and that's just not the way God works. The way God works is there is a ministry and a church body and they got to go together. And then you're under the covering the authority of somebody who's going to watch out for you, somebody who's going to give account for their stewardship of your soul, of your ministry, somebody who can help you, uh, you know, do whatever it is God's called you to do. But but we have way too much, and this is, I think, probably unique in America. But but you know we're, we're we're too much individualism. Well, I don't need a church. I'm just going to go do this, and I'm going to do this. The reality is, we America. We just don't like being under authority. And a, a Christian who refuses to be under authority is a Christian who is outside of the will of God. And so that's what's meant by being under the covering of the authority of a pastor or a church. You know, we've got people in our church who are doing things and, you know, um, they will come to me and, and say, here's what God's put in my heart to do. What do you think? And and if my spirit bears witness with it, and if this person is somebody who's demonstrated being faithful, then I want to be able to help them as much as I possibly can. I want to be somebody they can come to for counsel if they need it. But But there's just nothing that's more unproductive than a Christian who's just doing something because that's what God put on their heart to do and they want to do it their way. We've all of us got to be, learn to be under authority before God can ever truly give us um, or put us in a position of authority over others. So that's what's meant by being under the covering of a pastor church. A missionary uh, needs to be sent by a church. A church plant needs to be sent by a church. I just had a, a meeting today with somebody who's moving from our church to go plant another church, and and uh, he has decided uh, that he'd love to be under our covering. And so we're, we're going to be able to send him, we're going to be able to help him, provide resources for him, and, and he'll know that the people that love him are going to be praying for him. But, but, but Paul, he's been um, very faithful. And somebody that I can bear witness is is, um, is God has called him to do this, and we want to be able to help him. Um, it's just not good to be out there alone, period. 340-9585, Valerie says, My husband reads the Bible to our kids, but they think it's boring. I know he means well, but shouldn't he stop before they lose interest altogether? Valor, your husband is doing what most wives would give anything if their husbands would do. You know, the problem isn't your husband reading the Bible to your kids. It's your kids uh, thinking it's boring and you for not supporting him. This is something that we do for our kids because it's best for them. There's a lot of things our kids don't want to do, but we as parents... Um, make them do it because it's the right thing to do. So, no, Valerie, your husband should not stop reading the Bible to him. Uh, in fact, this is a, a, an exercise in discipline and, you know, sits down, reads it. He can open up for questions. But this is his responsibility as a father and as a husband. And the same thing ought to be happening with you. And to have a husband who wants to do the right thing and you're trying to discourage him, Valerie, um, that that's just the, the the last thing that ought to be um happening in your in your in your home. So support your husband. Um support him by enforcing your kids. I don't care if your kids are six years old or or sixteen or eighteen years old, or if they're twenty six years old and if they're at home. 
This is something that needs to be part of the routine in the house. We're going to get up and we're going to contact the Lord first. We're going to run um, our hearts. We're going to pray together. We're going to read the word together. And then they can go out and do whatever it is they have to do. But believe me, this is the one thing he ought to be doing. And I want to repeat, Valerie, he ought to be doing it with you as well. And you ought to appreciate him and respect him like crazy for wanting to do it. I can't tell you how many times women come to me in tears. If only my husband would read the Bible to me or if he'd pray with me or if he'd pray with my children. Um, Andrew, it sounds to me like he's doing exactly the right thing. You need to embrace it. Andrea says, is it okay to celebrate Christmas even though it has pagan origins? Yeah, Andrea, it's okay to celebrate Christmas. In fact, um, I always make the point that that God is redeeming Christmas, a pagan um, celebration. Um, And that's what he does. He redeems pagans. He did that with me. He probably, Andrea, did that with you. And of course it's okay to celebrate Christmas. Just don't celebrate it in a worldly way or a carnal way. Uh, make sure it's not about exchanging gifts or just being with family or or Santa Claus or any of that nonsense. Just make sure that you're celebrating Jesus Christ, God who became a baby, who lived and died and didn't stay dead so that we could have access to heaven. So by all means, celebrate Christmas and rejoice that God could redeem it. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, can you explain what it means to pray in Jesus' name and why is it necessary? Um, when, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not a formula. I think, Anonymous, that's one of the problems that we have in the church. We, we sort of look at in Jesus' name sort of like a lucky rabbit's foot. Um, you know, we'll tell God all the things we want to do and then say, oh yeah, in Jesus' name. No, to pray in Jesus' name means that he's given us access to his Father in heaven. God lives in unapproachable light, and we can't approach him. And yet Jesus made the way for us. You'll remember that when he died, he gave up his spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, as though being torn by the hand of God himself. And for the very first time, Jews would be able to look into the Holy of Holies and see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, only the high priest and only once a year could ever go in that place, the Holy of Holies. Imagine what it would be like for the Levites on duty that day. And when the the, the, the temple curtain tore and they could see into the Holy of Holies, they would think they're going to die. But Jesus' death is our access. And because it's our access... We have full and complete, unfettered access to the Lord. And that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean the name Jesus has any magic to it. It just means that he is the one that allows us to come into the presence of God. And that's what it means. So um, um, if you don't answer a prayer or you don't end a prayer in Jesus' name, uh, he still hears it. Uh, What we want to do is be sure that we're praying in his will and for his glory. And with thanksgiving, with grateful hearts, we can make our request known to God. But never forget, Anonymous, it is Jesus' work, finished work on the cross, his life without sin, his substitutional death and the punishment he took in our place. And then, of course, his resurrection from the dead that validated it all. That's what gives us the ability to approach the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we can find grace and mercy at exactly the time that we need it. And the reason we can do that, Anonymous, is because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Randall says, what is the key to maintaining a passionate relationship with Jesus? Um, Randall, passion is something that we need to work on. Um, If you're like most people, you get up some days and you can't wait to run to the Lord. There are other days running to him, you just don't feel like doing it. 
um, the key to maintaining a passionate relationship with Jesus is do it whether you feel like it or not. I say all the time on this program, I say it even more in our church, just be with Jesus. If you're in his presence, um, then then you're going to find out how sweet it is. Um, but but it, uh, any relationship takes work. Marriage relationship takes work. Our relationship with Jesus takes work. So you've got to sort of stoke the, the fires of that passion. And the way you do that is to be in the Word, to do what the Word tells you to do, to always keep Jesus front and center before you, walk with him, walk for his glory, and you'll have no problem with passion. You know, the Apostle Paul writes that we're to never to be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The Apostle Paul went through some really difficult times. Um, he, he suffered a lot. There were times I'm sure he didn't feel like um his relationship with the Lord was very passionate, but it was because he fought like crazy to get into the presence of the Lord. And so, Randall, we got to be men and women who fight to keep that fire lit. We got to be men and women who truly understand that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Jesus said, apart from him, you could do nothing. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've got to stay close to the Lord. And when the the, the pressures of this world or the everyday stresses of this world uh, or outside forces start to drag you away, then we fight like crazy to get back into the presence of God. And, and the Holy Spirit then will sort of take over. But But any relationship requires a lot of work. And a relationship with Jesus is no different, especially when we consider that there is a spiritual warfare element of our relationship with Jesus Christ that the enemy is trying to use. So very, very important that we understand. Here is, we're five minutes, okay, a couple more questions. Here's an anonymous question. There's a lot of fighting, um, it says not physical, in my marriage, and I'm tired of it. How can we stop fighting and get along? You know, Anonymous, this is one of my favorite subjects because um, people criticize me for saying it all the time. But a Christian husband and wife, people that are committed to their faith in Jesus Christ, should never argue with one another. Not ever. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything or even on most things. But here's what it means, that we can both agree to agree with Jesus on everything. So if a husband and a wife will say, okay, we're going to, you want this, I want this, what does the Bible say? And the Bible covers every specific and general principle. So if we'll decide, look, we're going to do what God says to do. If, if we have a disagreement, a difference of opinion, then we're going to simply sit down together in prayer and with the word open, we're going to say, okay, Jesus, what do you say we should do? And that precludes any possibility of arguing. What kind of testimony is it, especially if you've got kids at home listening to your fighting? Has fighting ever really solved anything or made it worse? I think here's the most important question to answer. Is fighting a work of the flesh or the spirit? If we're honest, we know it's the flesh, and we've got to crucify the flesh. So what we've got to do is we've got to let go of what we want and embrace what God wants for us. And it's just ugly. There's simply no excuse ever for a husband or a wife to speak ill of one another or toward one another. There's no point in raising the volume in our voices when it's so simple, when God says, how about you just do what I want you to do? And it's simple. Sometimes you're going to have to deny yourself in favor of doing what your wife wants men. That's what it means to love your wife the way Christ loved the church, giving himself of her. Ladies, for you, sometimes it's going to mean submitting to your husband's leadership, even if you think he's wrong. And my goodness, that's going to require for you to trust God. That's not a bad place to be, is it? So those are the things that we need to do. You know, I've been in, in, in I, Paul and I have done a lot of marriage conferences around, but, but we've heard other people speak a lot as well. And, and I've heard people say, well, you know, you're human, you're going to fight. If you can't crucify the flesh, what does Paul say? If you can't manage your own home, how is he going to manage the house of God? So if you can't manage your own flesh, if you can't crucify it, if you can't 
decide, especially when it's the closest to you, that what I'm going to do is serve the Lord. And I'm going to trust you, Jesus, to sort things out. It means you won't always get your way. But what does the Apostle Paul say? He says that there's no better use of your freedom than sacrificing it for the benefit of someone else. And I want everybody to understand this. Every time a husband and a wife is fighting, raising their voice, saying bad things, calling each other names, our witness is being compromised because every time you're fighting with your husband or your wife, it's flesh. And my Bible says we're to make no provision for the flesh and somehow we think there is an exception for marriage. Wouldn't it be great if you could just admit instead of yelling and screaming at each other, wouldn't it be great just to say, you know what, I realize right now I am so in my flesh. Please forgive me. I need to go and be alone with Jesus for a few minutes. Wouldn't that be much better? Wouldn't that be better for your kids to see? If your kids would see that, believe me, they learn how to deal with their own flesh. So I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Um, takes two to fight, just refuse to be part of it. And then your husband or your wife sit down and say, you know what, our, our marriage is not honoring to the Lord. And we need to repent and we need to change that. If we're Christians, we need to repent. Hope that helps. Hey, well, we are done. Remember, no Monday show because KSLR, the studios, will be closed. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas together. Uh, we'll be here tonight at 7 o'clock. I'm teaching out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. May Jesus be praised. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.